Good evening. Everybody doing all right? Good to see you tonight. We are continuing our uh, study of David. And we'll probably just have one more lesson and I'll close it out. I just skipped a whole bunch, but we're going to kind of fast forward just a little bit. Um, We last talked about David in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And and if you would, open to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I just kind of want to walk us through some scriptures, but we're not going to be in 1 Samuel tonight. We're actually going to be in 1 Chronicles but I want us to start in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24, not actually in 24, but I want you to just kind of flip the pages with me and, and we'll kind of walk through uh, just a quick context of where we're going to end up for our lesson this evening. I, I really like this lesson. I've, I've, I've done studies with uh, individuals on this lesson. It's a really powerful uh, lesson for us to get, and I hope that uh, as we leave this evening that we can be encouraged and we can understand a little bit better of what God's will for us is uh, as we go into this new week. But last lesson we talked about, First Samuel, when David spares Saul's life. And then you see uh, in chapter 25, Samuel, the great prophet, uh, he dies And in chapter 26, we see that David spares Saul a second time. He spares him a second time and he lets him live. And then some things happen. And I want us to focus on chapter 31 for just a real uh, quick second. In verse 1, it says, uh, Now the Philistines fought against Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul and his sons are out fighting the Philistines. And in verse 3 it says, The battle became fierce against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armbearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest this uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armbearer would not. For he was greatly afraid, therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his arm bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his arm bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Saul has died. He's dead. And verse 12 in 2 Samuel chapter 1, David hears about it and he... It says that they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? This young man had come and told him what had happened and said that he was the one that actually finished him off. And he says, where are you from? And the son tells him, and David said to him in verse 14, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? How were you not afraid to do that? And then David called uh, one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. 
and he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your head, your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. David, through all the drama, through all the tough situations, through all the depressing times that he had uh, with Saul chasing him, still shows him the utmost respect because he was the Lord's anointed. A man after God's own heart. He understood who the Lord was and he never wanted to disrespect him in any way. Now did he? Absolutely. And we're going to look at a story of him doing something that was contrary to God's word. And I want us to uh, really look into that. But I want us to look before we get there. Uh, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. <clears throat> and I want us to look at verses 1 through 4. So Saul dies and David becomes king of Judah. And Saul's son becomes uh, the king of Israel. Uh, then Joab murders Abner, which is Saul's uh, right-hand man. And some other things happen. And once the son of, of uh, Saul's, Saul's son, as soon as he dies, then this is what happens. David becomes the king over all of Israel. Look at verse uh, one in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 40 years. And that's where I kind of want to pick up. Uh, David, now if you would flip with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 13 is where we'll start. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles chapter 13 is where we'll be. But backing up just a little bit before that, uh, kind of get us what happens right before this incident. I know I'm giving a lot of background on this, so my lesson better pack a punch, right? <laughs> Building it up. <clears throat> I'll try to do that. I figured y'all would laugh about that one, but no laugh. No laugh. That's all right. I'm going to get y'all. I still got two jokes that I ain't busted out yet. So... Uh, in chapter 11, David's made king over Israel. And I do want to point out one verse in chapter 11. It says, So David went on and became great, and the Lord of hosts was with him. The Lord was with him uh, in these uh, situations that he had. And now we come to David going in. He takes over Jerusalem, which is called the city of David. And he wants to bring the ark of the covenant in. He wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. Tonight's lesson is David and the Ark of God. Very, very interesting story, huh? Many of us know it. Many of us understand it. But I want us to look at it. And, and I, want, I have four points that I'd like for us to consider. And I hope that you'll be encouraged by it. And, and you can take it and, and grow spiritually from it. Look at verse 6. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 6. And David and all Israel went up to Bala and 
Kerjah-Jerum, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before God with all their might, with singing on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to Chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Odeb-Edom and all that he had. So we see this story of David wanting to bring the ark of God into the city where he's just taken over. A great time, a great concept, a great thought. He had built this uh, place for it to be put, and here he is. He brings this ark in on a brand new cart. He brings it in on a brand new cart and they're singing and playing of the music and this big celebration that's coming in and all of a sudden the ark shifts. And the one who was right there with it put his hand out and what happens? He touches it, trying to keep it on the cart and dies. David becomes angry. David becomes angry at the Lord and therefore he leaves the ark where it's at and he doesn't bring it into the city. And he's scared. He's afraid, really, because he doesn't understand why God did that. Now we have to think about it, and we know this. We've been studying David for uh, right here, so it's fresh on our minds. But we have to understand that David loved the Lord. David was a man who uh, passionately searched and passion passionately wanted to do God's will, but here he was stuck in a situation where God had done something that he necess not necessarily liked. He didn't think that it was right for Uzzah to be killed, and really at the first thought he probably didn't think about why that was. Well, here's the first thing I'd like for us to consider tonight is God demands... Obedience. That's a pretty harsh word really in between God and obedience. God demands obedience. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. I want to give us just a little bit of background on the reason why God struck Uzzah down. Exodus 25 verses 10 through 17. Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 through 17. God had made some rules. God had made some ways for this to be carried. And look at what happens. He says, And they shall make an ark of Achaia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, 
and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and out you shall overlay it. And you shall make it on, on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of Achaia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall be not taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half uh, its width. And then he goes on talking about the other features of it. But here's what I want us to understand. The ark had some ways that it needed to be carried. It had to have poles put in the side and they had to be picked up and carried the exact way. Now the problem was if somebody touched the ark, what would happen? They would die. God was trying to tell them that this is a very important piece of your history. This is a very important piece that is going to help you through tough situations. I've made this to where this is where I'm going to be. You're going to come in here. The priests would eventually go in there once a year and they would, get, uh, they would offer the sacrifice and then they would come out and if they didn't do it quite the right way, they would die in there because the presence of the Lord would be in the area of the Holy Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. A very, very tough situation for people to be in if they were doing it the wrong way. But here's David excited about the Ark of the Covenant coming in. He's excited for it to be in the city of David. And what does he do? He doesn't put it in the poles in it. He puts it on a brand new cart. He puts it on a brand new cart and he carries it in excited about it. The thing about it is, what was the problem with David and Israel? What was the problem that they did? What was the problem that they had when it came to bringing this ark in like they were supposed to? Well, they didn't because they didn't obey God. They didn't do as He said. And thinking about that, being obedient, making application for us, it takes time. Obedience takes time. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes we want to make a quick decision and if we don't sit back and think about the decisions that we make, we'll probably not make the right one. And not only does it uh, take time, it takes effort. you got to want to do the right thing to do it, right? And if you understand what you're supposed to do, then you'll do it. But if you don't really care about it, then you'll just go about your everyday business doing whatever you want to do. Leviticus 19.2 says this. This is not just something that God said kind of to be nice. No, this is what He commanded them to understand. You shall be holy, for I the Lord your God am holy. He demanded that. And today we as Christians on the other side of the cross, we have that same command to be holy. Because our God is holy. Luke eleven twenty eight. they said, Blessed is the womb that had you, Jesus. And Jesus says, uh, more than that, 
Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. God wants us to be obedient. It's not a choice. We have to do it. We have to be obedient. And that's not because He's trying to be a mean God. He wants us to say, you know what? It's all about you. And it's not about me. The second thing to consider when we think about this story, back to 1 Chronicles chapter 13, is many think this. Many think that God isn't really concerned about the details, right? God isn't really concerned about the details. I mean, okay, they put it on a new cart. They didn't put it in the poles. That's really not that big of a deal, right? It was a big deal. And boy, this gets really interesting when you start talking about New Testament principles, right? And one of the good things uh, that just kind of happened to happen was we're about to start studying on uh, how we worship. The prayer, our singing, and those, the Lord's Supper in our new curriculum. We're going to be talking about those things. And this lesson is actually a perfect setup for that. Because God is concerned about the details. Let me just use an example that we're all so familiar with, right? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, right? Well, before I obeyed the gospel, here's what I said. He who believes is saved and then later baptized, right? That's what I thought. Now, wait a minute. That's going to keep me from being obedient to God because I believe in my heart that I was saved before I was baptized and then I got baptized so that means that I'm okay? Well, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? It's just as simple as this. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And that's it. But many people worry about this and they think about, uh, is it uh, really a big deal to be concerned about the small details? Look at David in chapter 15. Look at verse 2. David built these houses for himself and he prepared this place for the ark and he pitched a tent and then he said, no one may carry the ark of God but the Levites. For the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of God and to minister before Him forever. God had chosen something to do. God had chosen the Levites to be specifically over taking care of the ark of the covenant. Now I want us to flip to Matthew chapter 7 just real quick and look at this verse. Very familiar verse probably for many of you, but some of you may have never heard it. Had a Bible study just the other night, and this was uh, one of the verses that we talked about, and uh, the person said that they had never heard this verse. Because the question was brought up that people who are members of the Church of Christ are the ones who believe that they're the only ones that are going to go to heaven. You ever heard that? Has that ever been asked to you? Have you ever had that question been brought up or presented to you? It's still alive today. And this is the verse where I took her to. 
And this is the verse, look what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. No, I don't believe that uh, everybody <clears throat> that is in the church of Christ is going to go to heaven. I believe that whoever does the will of the Father is going to go to heaven. Amen? <laughs> That's what the Bible says, right? Whoever does God's will is going to go to heaven. And then he says this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Haven't we done these things? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. God isn't really concerned about the details. Oh, He absolutely is concerned about the details. It's a big deal. Why do we look at the Old Testament? It's for our learning, isn't it? Don't we look back at it and we understand the concept of, I don't want to do this. I shouldn't be a part of this. We see David, the man after God's own heart, carrying the ark of God on a cart. The Philistines had done it. They had gotten away with it. Well, it didn't matter to the Philistines, right? They got rid of that thing because it was, it was, it was doing all kinds of stuff to them, wasn't it? They were, had rats and had all kinds of situations with that car. They said, get that thing out of here as fast as you can. And here David is, he says, oh, we got to put a brand new cart on this thing. But we get back into 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and we see David is starting to think about this now. He says, no, the Levites are the ones that God chose to carry the ark. I don't know why God picked baptism to be what forgives your sins, but that's what the Bible says, right? 1 Peter 3.21 says, Baptism doth now save us. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but what? An answer to a good conscience, right? To the Lord. Saying, Lord, you know what? I'm ready for you to clean me up. I'm ready for you to make me right. The details are very important. And brethren, if we don't know how to teach the details, how can we even talk to people about the truth? How can we even share with them the hope that's within us if we don't understand these principles? The details matter. It's that important. Uzzah reached out a good thing trying to save the ark and guess what? It killed him immediately. One of my friends who struggles with even believing in the Bible, he says, why did God kill this man when he was trying to do uh, the right thing? Why did God, this God that you love so much, why, are you, why, why uh, did he kill him when he was trying to save the ark and he was just trying to do what was right? Isn't that the same argument that we hear sometimes, just a worded a little bit different with the religious world? You mean to tell me that not everyone is going to heaven even though they're trying to do the right thing? Boy, that's a powerful punch towards you, ain't it? It puts the pressure right on you, don't it? 
But brethren, you can take it right off when you say, no, God is worried about if you do God's will. God is worried about if you're going to do exactly what He says in the Bible. You know, one of the most beautiful things that continues to happen with me is here I am trying to convince myself that asking Jesus in my heart is right and it's just not in the Bible. But if I believe what the Bible says, it says repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's how I have my sins forgiven. Not saying, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. I love you. Man, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Isn't that somebody who's wanting to do it? Isn't that what Romans 10, 9 says? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's unto righteousness. You're getting there. You're getting to the point. You just got to keep going. There's some more things that have to be done. God is concerned about the details. The next point. Convenience or preference doesn't make it right according to God. Well, I just go down here to the such and such church because it's right there. Or I prefer that this group, religious group more than I prefer the other, right? There's only one pattern, amen? There's only one group. It's the body of Christ. If you're added to that group, that's the group. It's not a matter of convenience. If it's convenient because the church is right there beside you, then God bless you. But if it's not and it's 20 minutes down the road and that's the only body of Christ that's around you, then that's where you got to be, amen? It's that important. The details are that important. Look at what Jude 3 says. Jude 3 says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. It's already been delivered. It's a done deal. It's in the Bible. It's in the scriptures for us to do. Just like David. God done it way back with Moses and Aaron. He made the commandment for the ark to be carried with two poles on the side. That's how it had to be done. I don't know why, but that's how he wanted it. I don't get to pick and choose what God wants, and we don't either, right? But we have to do what He says. Sometimes this is a very tough lesson to teach somebody. Amen? You ever been there? You ever been a part of a discussion like this where they just keep getting mad and mad at you, right? And shut you down? Well, don't get discouraged, brethren. Don't get discouraged when that happens because guess what? You've got the Bible to help you out. One of the most comforting things when I go into a Bible study with somebody, me personally, is I know that what I'm about to tell them, I can back up with the Scripture. Amen? 
That's why God is so strict on His commands. That's why God wants us to understand. When I say don't do this, I mean don't do it. Because I'm the boss. (laughs) He's the boss. I can't be the boss. You can't be the boss. We can't get on that level. But boy, I tell you what, we got a boss that loves us. And how do you think that David felt when Uzzah died after he got finished being angry? Galatians 5.25 tells us before we move on to the next point and talk about that. It says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, we got to walk in the Spirit. And that means doing what the Bible tells us to do. Not only through obedience to the gospel, but it's the Revelations 2.10, right? Being faithful until death part. And that's the hardest part sometimes, right? I mean, so many. I remember a guy sitting right here. He obeyed the gospel. And I remember him saying, man, I'm the cleanest guy around. And I'm like, you are, man. Your sins is washed away. And he's gone. Never came to worship. Never tried to be encouraged. Went and visited him. Me and James went several times. Talked to his wife. See you later. Never submitted to understanding why God commands us to be here. Why God wants us to be a part of this. Why you got to sit in these seats and listen to me holler at you, right? I love y'all. I love the word. I love being here. I love being a part of this. And that's from my heart. But we have a pattern that we have to go by, brethren. And we have to take it out to the people. Oh, I talk to them. I talk to them. They don't want to hear it. And I understand that I talk to my parents all the time. And they don't want to hear it. But guess what? If they don't want to hear it, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to somebody else. And if they don't want to hear it, I'm going to go to somebody else. And if they don't want to hear it, I'm going to go to somebody else. I'm going to go to somebody else until they want to hear me. I will say this. One of the most encouraging things One of the most encouraging things that I've seen lately is Colin Taylor coming to worship. That's hard for him. It's been hard for him. It continues to probably be hard for him. And it's hard on Emily and it's hard on the family. It's a hard situation, but guess what? I hugged his neck today. This guy obeyed the gospel despite all odds. (laughs) Despite all odds. He said, you know what? This is the truth. This is the pattern. I'm going to do it. 
I'm encouraged by that. I don't know exactly what all he's doing. I haven't visited with him in, in quite a while, but I've seen him today and I hugged his neck and boy, what an encouragement that is. Against all odds, here he is. Could have very well have hung the towel up and been done and not even worried about it, but boom, he walks through the door to worship. What an encouraging thing. And there's so many more stories like that, but the Bible will prove true if we just go and teach it and show people and want to be interested in it. Just care about it a little bit to talk to somebody about something small and bring it up so you can get into the situation. Here's your challenge, brethren, and I'm going to be a part of it too. Let's find somebody to have a Bible study with. Amen? Somebody. Just think if every single one of us had a Bible study with somebody going on. <laughs> That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? We'd be so busy, we wouldn't even have time for the worldly stuff. Because we'd be worried about what this question that this guy's got, right? <laughs> Could you imagine going home? Hey, man, I'm going to holler at you in a little bit, but uh, I, I can't even make it to that because I got a Bible study coming up, man, and this guy's wanting, he's close to obeying the gospel. It totally takes your mind off of anything else than serving the Lord. And guess what happens? You become exalted in that. That's contagious to me, man. I hope it is to you. But the final point. Feelings don't determine the truth. Amen? Look at what happens with David in verse 11. Actually, verse 10. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. And he died there before God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day saying, How can I bring the ark of God to me? David was mad at the Lord. And rightly so. Here's a question for you. Probably none of you in here have ever experienced it, but maybe have you ever been mad at God? <laughs> have you ever been upset with the situations that you're in? Boy, I have. I've been upset, I've been mad, I've... Just thinking about it gets me in a whirlwind. I've been at work mad at God and can't understand why I'm here. I've talked to one of my closest friends that is a preacher and he doesn't understand why God won't fix something for him. Why he can't get it where he needs it to be. And I could just sense a little bit of frustration and, and not necessarily anger, but... It, in a little bit, he's mad at God. Even though you're mad at God, even though you're upset with God, even though you don't understand the situation, guess what? It still doesn't change what God's Word says. It still doesn't change the fact. You can't mold it in such a way to make it be what it's not. 
God's word is God's word and that's it. That's the beauty of what God does for us. He says, this is what I want you to do. And you say, how can that be beautiful when I'm mad at God? Because as you search, as you draw closer, as you understand that maybe you've done something wrong. Or maybe you haven't done something wrong. Maybe just this situation has come up and you're wondering, how can I get through it? What do you understand uh, as a Christian? When I have a problem, guess what? I'm going to come to one of y'all. And I may not just come to one of y'all. I may come forward. And I may ask for prayers. And I may ask you to text me. And I may ask for your number. And I may ask you if you just come over and be a part of my life for just a little bit. So this anger that I have with God, maybe this understanding that I don't have, slowly starts getting worked out. But David had messed up. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 15, and I'm about done. Verse 13 says, For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult Him about the proper order. I think the main word for this lesson is there is a pattern that is set for us. Whether we like it, whether we don't, it is what it is. And here's the reality. Do you want to go to heaven or do you not? Because Jesus says when you go to heaven, guess what? Every tear will be wiped away. It'll be gone. But right now, and this time, if you've messed up, if you understand that God's word says, wait a minute, I shouldn't be doing that. And I take myself back to myself because there are a lot of things that I didn't understand before. But as I started looking at the Bible, I started to understand what the Bible was telling me. And the Bible was telling me totally something different than what I had been taught. And then I had to stand at the crossroad and say, you know what, I'm going to either believe it or I'm not going to believe it. I'm either going to do what God's Word tells me to do or I'm not going to do what God's Word tells me to do. But I think about David in this situation as he fixes what was wrong. I think about us in our lives when we do mess up, when we understand that we have done something contrary to God's word. And maybe we were mad at first. Maybe we were upset. I remember being in this building and being furious, walking out saying, baptism for remission of sins. Really? (laughs) What a joke. No instruments. Really? What a joke. Oh, it wasn't no joke. It was the pattern. And as I learned, I realized what God wanted for me. He wanted to have a relationship with me when I came in and sat down at the pew. And I did make music. I made it in my heart. I made it to the Lord. I took the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Why did I take it? So I could remember what He did for me every single week. 
Why did I come in here and, and realize that I needed to be baptized for the remission of my sins? Because that's what they did in the first century. I was added to the same body that they were added to way back when. And it's only one. I had to repent. I had to say, Lord, I was wrong. My mind wasn't right. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I really wasn't. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Over and over we see David, and what a great example of this. Man after God's own heart. Once he realized that he had done the wrong thing, guess what he did? He repented, he asked for forgiveness, and then he kept going. That's how we have to be as a Christian. To be successful, really, that's the main uh, deal that we have to know. And I talked about it a little bit with the, the high school, middle school class yesterday. I appreciate Derek giving me an opportunity to speak. But what I said was, we have a blessing that comes with this. When I'm baptized for the remission of my sins, for the rest of my life, this is what I have the ability to do. When I sin, I can confess my sin and it's forgiven. And not only forgiven, it's cleansed. Why in the world will we not want to have our sins and be as clean as we could be all the time? Amen? That only happens when it's in the forefront of our mind. When it really matters what we're doing. When it really matters the way we act, the way we talk, the way we think. Because when we don't keep that at the front of our mind, what happens? We don't ask for forgiveness. We don't repent. We don't turn from it. We just continue to do what we do. And they pile up until a big disaster happens. And then we're like, oh, Lord, forgive me, right? Instead of keeping them right at the front. And when a tough trial comes along, I'm ready to deal with it. Because the Lord is with me right in the front of my mind. Man. The reality is this, and I'm, I'm closing with this verse. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel told Saul when he offered the sacrifice without him being there, he hurried up and did it as fast as he could. God told him to obey is better than sacrifice. To wait for Samuel to get there is better than the sacrifice. To understand what you need to do to be saved is better than just going through the motions. Becoming an obedient Christian, living faithful unto death is better than just coming and going and making everybody think that everything's okay. There's a pattern that's been set before us all. And the Lord has given it to us. David got the Levites together. He got them to put the poles in the ark. And guess what he did? He had a parade all the way into the city of David. <laughs> he did it the right way. And he set it down and everything was good, right? If we do exactly what the Lord tells us to do, We'll be pleasing to Him. 
But here's one of the scariest verses in the verse in the Bible. And I just read it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you're here today and you're just playing like you're a Christian, Jesus Christ could come back at any time. And this is what he could say to you. And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. I loved you so much. I gave my life for you. I loved you so much. I gave the Bible to you. I loved you so much I put people in your path that actually talked to you about it. That sat down and had Bible studies with you. But you never cared enough. You thought, oh, the minor details are just minor details. He'll say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Brethren, I don't want to be somebody who practices lawlessness. I want to be somebody who does the right thing. Amen? I want to do it the right way, and I want to do it the right way all the time. But that only comes with a great relationship with the Lord, being excited to do His will and being excited to be a child of His, just like I talked about this morning. Maybe you're here today and you need to become a child of God. Maybe you need to put away the worries or the doubts that you may have. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe... You just need some prayers. Pray for each other this week, brethren. Pick some people to pray for. Pick some people to visit. Pick some people to text. Let's be an active body like we are. I know so many people doing so many great things in this congregation. I just am excited about it. And I love it so much. But whatever you need, come right now. Together we stand and sing.